Hey, so I just saw there's like a new banana splits moving coming straight to DVD near you. Um, the banana splits were pretty funny in the 60s and 70s growing up. I used to dig the banana splits. I like that show. And the new movie is rated R. They're like these like Terminator killing machines or something. Their show gets canceled and they kind of go on a rampage. I think that's pretty funny. Um, so eventually, I think it's going to turn into like one of the new Sharknados because sci-fi is doing it. But the dang thing is rated R. How cool is that? That it's like, holy cow, man. Banana splits in an R-rated like killing movie. So it must be pretty gory, which is cool. But I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I'll, I'll, I'll check a look. This morning, I watched a little Star Trek. Some pretty cool stuff going on Star Trek. They had uh, the red shirt show up and get killed and typical. But it was kind of surprised. They had a... Um, they had this tall, dark green dude, and then they had this shorter woman, and both of them wearing red shirts, and then they turned him into, like, these cubes, and the guy turned around and, like, crushed one, but he did this, like, bait and switch. I was expecting the dark green guy to get, get crushed, but it was actually the girl, so they spared the one guy and killed the girl. How cool is that, man? It's like, wow, that was like Star Trek. You know, they kind of totally flipped the script on you and were like, we don't need this chick, even though she's wearing a mini skirt. She's out. So um, anyway, want to uh, get caught up. I had a weird week, man. Uh, my band-aided Mac Pro took a dive. I think my uh, Purge Wrangler and uh, eGPU conflicted with an update. Apple did something, and I kind of went through the process of updating, and Purge Wrangler's been pretty good. It's done a couple updates. It's been working out okay. Well, uh, Apple updated some software, and then my computer went into this Japanese language uh, cycle where it wouldn't restart. It was busted up, and so I had to start it in, like, safe mode, and then... Uh, redo reboot uh, it from the time machine i had to go to a backup so at that point on tuesday i was like ah oh, i don't need this headache man i have some things to do so i ended up grabbing a new computer so i've been spending the last like 24 hours changing everything moving stuff around resetting stuff up so i have my podcasting i i, I kind of use this opportunity to yank my tear my office apart i still got to do a lot more work i got to clean it up but I pulled like every accessory, every drive, everything that I have, including my new board and all that, and tore it all up and moved it around and kind of built a new, um, you know, kind of office. I redid the office, I guess, in a, uh, you know, for a better way of putting it. And then I'm installing software on the new computer. So I'll be moving over to that and doing the podcasting on this one, which it looks like it's working out pretty good. This is the first one. But definitely want to bring up the gathering. Okay, that happened last weekend, and that was the Army Sniper Association getting together with the Marine Corps Scout Sniper Association and having the first joint event. I want to say that it was super successful. I want to thank um, Jesse Fletcher from the USMC and then Chris Roberts and Chris Rance from the Army Schoolhouse. Those guys are awesome. Ruben, too. Ruben Keenan, who did, I didn't recognize. I get so many Rubens, and Ruben's like a unique thing. I got a guy who follows me around on Sniper's Hide and just instigates me, Rubeninsky. He's always, like, trying to poke me. And so at first, he's like, hey, it's Ruben, and I wasn't even thinking podcast. And I'm like, what, are you the dude? And he's like, no, I'm not that. And then it was like, oh, man, you're the, you're the, um, you're, you're the, who we podcasted with, the instructor that we podcasted. Super great guy in person. We tried to get Mike out. Mike wasn't having it. Mike kind of fought all our, our efforts to get him to come out uh, and meet everybody and hang out. So he ended up doing family day for himself. But um, first night, we, we went to, uh, what do you call it, the uh, Hickenlooper's place, the wine coop, and had our meet and greet. About 65 people showed up, including some, you know, way back history a couple of the USMC guys that started the uh, modern sniper school, you know, sort of like in the times of the Hathcock uh, era, uh, they showed up. And so there was some, some you know, way back guys from the 70s there, which was awesome. And then, you know, uh, we just got to meet everybody and see who was out. But, I mean, for the first event and for the meet and greet to have 65 people show up, I mean, it just goes to show you the strength of that sniper community. And when you think about it, I mean, it really is such a small 
little segment of the military. I mean, I know from the Marine side, if you got a battalion with about 600 Marines in it, there's only eight to 12 school trained guys that are actually in the billet. So it's a super, super small community that is, um, you know, that that's part of this. And then when you go over and you look at, uh, you know, what, where it is today, there's not that many guys. Sure, everybody you meet on the street it was a sniper in the military. You know, they're all there, and especially now because they all have, like, a scope on their rifle. You know, so they, they consider themselves all snipers. But being in the billet, going through the school, I mean, that's really the uh, the, the bar to, to say, hey, w- were you a sniper in the military? Did, yeah, did you go to the school and graduate? That's number one. And did you serve in that billet? And that should be number two, which determines, you know, how you present yourself out there. It's it's one thing to kind of, I, I guess you could say it, it's it's a weird conversation to talk about, like the pig side of things, the the guys who were in the the, the unit and could be considered in the billet but didn't go to school yet. You know, because with the deployment schedules, it can be pretty difficult to get some people, but there is no real OJT, right? There's no on-the-job training when it comes to it, although it has happened in small circumstances over the years. I mean, we have a kind of a running joke on the Marine Corps side that there was a unit in Okinawa, and all their Marines kept getting fail, kept failing out of sniper school. So, you know, the, the battalion commander kind of got frustrated with that and took it upon himself to take, like, his current crop of snipers and just, you know, badge them with the MOS. And I guess you can. I don't know if there's any rule against it. But that was, like, the only time it happened was with this one Marine colonel with a single Okinawa unit. And we pretty much know who that was. And many of the guys who got badged had actually been to schools and failed out but it was just really cool getting everybody together. And then on Saturday morning, uh, like here we are at the bar all Friday night. I, I don't think I left. I wanted to leave about 11. I ended up leaving around midnight and it was like, oh, I shouldn't have left even at midnight. That got to be kind of tough. So I get up first thing in the morning and those guys are like, hey, we're going to be at the range and the range is an hour away. You know what I mean? We're going to be at the range at 7 o'clock. And I'm like, I'm not going to be at the range at 7 o'clock. I'd have to leave at 5 to get you guys all, you know, 5, 5.30 to get all set up. And by the time you stop off, pick up some ice and do some different things. So 7.30, I rolled up. But, you know, I'm driving in and I'm thinking about it. And I'm like, oh, man, you know, it, it, it's everybody was out drinking last night. Very few people left early. It's, I'm going to be out here for an hour by myself before anybody shows up. Not the case on the military sniper side of the house. I showed up at 7.30, and there was like five vehicles already there waiting for me, which, and I was just late because McDonald's was slow giving me my bag of ice. I, you can go to the drive through window at McDonald's here, get an Egg McMuffin and a bag of ice. So that's what I was doing, and it took him a while to grab me some ice because I asked for like four bags, axed for like four bags. Um, so that kind of threw me about five minutes behind my time. I had to pull up and wait, go figure, go wait for ice. But, uh, um, yeah, we got up, everybody got set up. We had a couple vendors there that came in. Um, you know, uh, Michael Hanel from really right stuff was there and brought us tripods, got to talk to him a bunch. Uh, the army, you know, guys, Chris, Chris and Keenan had set up a little, um, section they did the rapid target engagement, which I'm going to talk about in a little bit. We had Crosstack, Windsor. Uh, we had a B4 actual targets out there. Uh, there was a couple other guys. I don't know who was on the end. Um, 22 Kill, uh, Tim was there talking about uh, suicide prevention and stuff like that, which is a big thing. You got to support the, the guys who are looking at the suicide prevention because it's, it's, it's a serious problem. And, and it's it's important as a community we stick together and watch everybody that way and, and try to, um, you know, create a support structure when it comes to uh, military veterans and suicide. So those guys were there. And then we just had a lot of great guys just coming out and shooting. Some guys hung out at 100. Other guys went out. But um, one of the neat things, I was kind of looking at the, um, the rapid target engagement with the 12-inch drill. And, man, I really want to look at that different because I – 
honestly think it could be done easier. I, I, you know, they're flash milling and they're using sort of that head to top of chest and, and they're creating, they create that triangle, shoulders, head, neck, and they're doing the 12 inch drill. Now on the European side, they mostly do shoulders and then they, they have like the Zeiss charts. If you ever look at the Zeiss type reticles, the P3 reticle in any of those, um, uh, step charts where it'll it'll give you a little dashed line with a solid line on the bottom. It has like a long line on the bottom and then a series of step dash lines. That's a ranging flash milling drill. And you can do heights, heads, but I think they also do shoulders. Well, I'm watching, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in on the 12-inch drill in the rapid target engagement. And, you know, they're like, oh, you have a 10-gun and you have this and that. And I'm like, uh... I, I got to think there's an easier way of doing it. I mean, it's not that the the beginning, it, well, the setup is kind of where the confusion comes in. It, it's like you got to kind of look at it with your head tilted three different ways to determine, the you know, and, and get the setup. But at the um, same time, it's it's one of these deals where I really think they could do it easier. You know, I don't know who's, uh, you know, if they are flash milling and how prevalent that becomes, uh, you know, or whether or not they're really just kind of throwing it to the side and winging it. But I, I really want to explore the rapid target engagement. I mean, I've done it. Here's a, I, I actually ran a drill. There, uh, K&M, when it was uh, core K&M back in the day, I was down there at a PRS event, and this was when they had, I want to say it was the same year and event when they had the grinded out drill, where you had to run through the woods and then do various shots. It was handgun, rifle, handgun, rifle, handgun, rifle. But there was a drill at K&M where you had X amount of targets, I think it was five or so, between 300 and seven, 800 yards, and various size and I may go set this up various sizes and then basically how do you engage them at distance and I remember doing it and just kind of winging it I put a battle sight zero on my rifle because it was like okay well I know my target engagement range is going to be between three and eight hundred yards so what's the best number to put on the gun we're even with a pretty standard reticle I mean with me in the reticle I want to stay in the center third, okay? That's the sweet spot for glass. And, oh, I got to remind me to talk about glass. I just saw a cool thing with glass. Um, there's a, That's the sweet spot for glass where you don't get distortions. You don't have any variations because they do see variations, especially with the Horus if you start playing around the edges. If you start getting down too deep into that reticle, there's optical distortions in there. And you're multiplying it and you're creating a problem and you'll, and you'll see that. So um, I, I kind of want to look at what's the better way of doing that quicker. Because, I mean, it, it's not so hard. You're going to come up, you're going to flash mill it, you're going to get a number and then say that equals this. You know, you, you got a 10 gun, you do this. What equals four? That's your dope. Hold four and shoot. Okay. Yeah. I still think there's a simpler way of doing it. We know with like their 308s, it's about one mil per every 100 yards from 300 to 800. So, I mean, as long as you can kind of range estimate it to 300, you're just going to add a mil, add a mil, add a mil, add a mil, and you're going to be within minute of man. But I think I'm going to have to go out and proof it. So I really don't even think you kind of need, and, and it's like 0.8 for a 6.5 a 300 wind mag would be the same with about a 0.8 mil so i mean you could probably just go three quarter with, with a minute a man three quarter three quarter three quarter all the way through and be pretty good without even thinking about it the question is is that initial hold you know and i guess you'd have to flash mill and figure it out but i i honestly do think kind of looking at the, the the determining factors that there's an easier way of doing it. And um, I, I don't know. I just think that I got to explore that. And we just, we've gotten so far away on the 
competition, civilian side, and what we're doing, we've gotten so far away from milling targets, even flash milling, that it, it's it's kind of strange where I bet you if we put a flash milling stage into an event, that the comp side would figure it out super fast. They would know, like right off the bat, how to how to skin this cat without going through the effort that I saw. And it's easy, but it's not. You know what I mean? You're still kind of taking it one at a time. But there's got to be a better way of, and, and maybe it's target reference points. Maybe it's, you know, basically you have a target reference point in, in, in doing one. But how do you do it? If it's dynamic, though, are you really going to, you know, stick around to mill and take that extra time? But if it's stationary and static, you're going to have so much more, so many other tools at your disposal. I, I really do think there's an easier way of skinning that cat. I just have to look at it. And I honestly have not paid any attention to the 12 inch drill or what's going on. I've kind of put it out of my mind from the very beginning because it just wasn't something that I focused on and not doing the military classes since 2011. You know, I, I never had to look at it. So it, it's it's definitely a situation where um, you, you can, uh, it could be worked on, I think, or it could be uh, refined, I guess is a better way of putting it. Speaking of glass now, I guess, a, uh, I want to say he's a Greek. Was it? No, Mexican. I'm sorry. A Mexican scientist just figured out the mathematical formula for lenses and how to get perfectly sharp lenses in cameras. So it's got to be able, he has a new formula and it's got to be translated. This was a problem. Look it up. Mexican scientist in uh, camera lenses, new formula. It, it's something they have not been able to figure out for as many years as we've been building cameras. And there's always been a certain amount of distortion in the lens, right? They guys test them. They have software that looks at them. There, there's all this stuff. And that translates to our rifle scope. This same distortion and these same problems that people were looking at in camera lenses to get the perfectly sharp image that they want translates to our rifle scopes in in a bigger way if you think about it because a camera has a product that comes on the back end that you can look at it we can take a camera take a picture of something and say yes here's areas of distortion yes here's this you know all these different things that are going on and with our rifle scope, it's really just our perception. So people are able to dismiss things. People are able to, it's very subjective in what we're looking at. But there's a an effect that gets looked at with like horse and holdover reticles. Because the farther you get out to that center, the farther you get out in that sweet spot, especially you have to look at how expensive your uh, optic is with the, with the more... I mean, think about it. If you have a $1,500 scope, odds are it costs that company between, uh, I don't know. Some people have said between $25 and $150. I know like the Unertal for the Marine Corps, okay, that they sell for now for like $2,500 on up, sold for $700 to the Marine Corps when it came out. He had to make a profit. So you've got to figure at least a minimum of three times that less is what it cost him to make it. So if divide seven by three, and now that's a $700 scope, that's about 125 bucks of effort. With these OEMs and the different things, you know, I've, I've seen prices and stuff as low as 25, 50 bucks per optic. And I know some of the like $2,500 optics we use Average around three three fifty is what they're paying. You know what I mean. So there's a big markup, almost like jewelry. There's a big, big markup with optics. And think about when they're putting that optical package together, and you're stacking thirteen plus or minus lenses. I mean, thirteen pieces of glass. 
add a piece of glass, we're, we're, we're add two pieces of glass together, you have a negative. So you add a third to make a positive. Well, that creates its own negative. So you have an, add another one to put back a positive. Might create another negative. That's how you get to like 13 lenses to be able to see. And so there's distortions, there's light loss, there's all these problems. And then, you know, you have um, like primary and secondary light rays that come in, which goes back to the internals of the tube where they hit, scatter, they do things, and that creates its own level of problems. So there's a lot more scientifically that goes into a scope that gets overlooked because it's a subjective thing. Now, you could put it on a test chart, but it's still my eye reading an eye chart, okay? So I put an optic between me and the eye chart. We read the eye chart, and we put a number to it. You know, they do have computers now and Wella machines and different stuff like that that can do all this for you and give you a better baseline. But it's not something we do for us. Like, we're not grabbing a bunch of these scopes and running them through Wella machines. Like, I'd love to go to, like, a place like Vortex because I know they have them and they have a good thing and just bring, like, a metric ton of my scopes and put every one of them on the machine and have, like, a printout that becomes public. And, and lets everybody know, hey, this optic, this is going on, that's going on. And just to kind of gauge where we might be falling down in that, because we don't have a physical picture to look at. You know, we have through the camera shots, you know, through the lens and all that kind of stuff, or through the scope shot stuff, where we take a picture, but then we have a camera lens behind this other lens and, and it's not an accurate representation mainly because focusing with the camera matching it up um on axis straight we're not laser aligned and we almost need to be laser aligned to make this really kind of um you know uh fair across the board we need it to be standardized and so that's kind of where like these well machines come in and how they set them up and make sure everything's good. But it, it'd be an interesting experiment to take a look at these optics and to see just where, not so much like is their quality, but where the distortion might throw the shot off. Because this is a sighting tool, right? I mean, a scope's not a spotter. A scope isn't designed... It is, but it's not. It's it's more about the adjustment. It's more about how it moves the reticle to the target, where that point of impact is. Does it, you know, again, it's tracking. It all comes down to tracking with optics. So that's kind of a cool thing. So at this gathering, I'm looking at that, and we don't have the distortions out here other than mirage you know because it's dry bright sunlight and all that so depending on the time of day your distortions come from your atmospheric conditions but kind of going back and thinking about like the alaska the snell's law the video vortex actually has of a spotter with a reticle in a box with a gopro and time lapse and how it moves across the target and that's like a feature of moisture all right, water vapor in the air. We have a humidity content, we have water vapor, and we have that Snell's law. And this creates image variations, what we're looking at, right? The target is not where we say it is kind of thing. And that's why dope doesn't always line up. I mean, there's there was a, a, a kind of a, a thought process for a while. It didn't last very long publicly in, in the discussions, but it's out there exactly when and how you zero your rifle time of day okay the time of day for your zero to eliminate these light errors to eliminate the um distortions in the atmosphere so that way your zero is your zero so think about you know what time of day and under what conditions did you zero your rifle do you want to do it first thing early morning 
when the sun's not so high, when they're, you know, overclass, uh, overcast days. And, you know, does this create a distortion issue? And then you start running into tracking problems and all these things compound. You know, any one by itself is microscopic. But then you start looking at the people complaining about data moving in different conditions. Well, I got the same DA, but my dope's slightly off. Is that me? Is that the light conditions? Is that the uh, atmospherics? Why is this slightly? And it could be point two. I mean, a lot of it is small, but our stuff has gotten so accurate. Our, our, our shooting has gotten so good. We're shooting smaller targets farther away with better equipment, new calibers. I mean, think about this. The, uh, it, uh, Terry Cross and Pete Carpentier uh, have been posting pictures of rifles only competitions going back pre 2000 okay they had some ones up like 2001 uh, to 2003 with me and like jim hodge shooting together uh jim hodge from hodge defense makes really tricked out ars and stuff so him and i were a team and there was pictures of me looking like a 15 year old uh there was one of me giving terry cross his winning um you know he won an event or the, the match and stuff and then there was pre-rifles only where there was only like 15 20 people shooting these type of events going back to the pre-2000 okay we're all shooting 308s you could see us all with ais or some variants on remingtons and you know mark IV scopes and all that we weren't able to resolve this level of accuracy with our equipment okay and th- this is going to go right back into the sniping side of it, okay? Because they're, they're, they're looking at a bigger target, minute of man, 308, 300 wind mag calibers, you know, guys that have a certain amount of marksmanship education and things like that, but have 10 other jobs to do. So there's still some bad habits mixed in there. They're not really refining it. It's about the hit. You know, okay, are you fast? Are you accurate? Can you hit the target? We don't care where you hit. Did you hit? Yes. Okay, end of story. Now, and that was a 20 by 40, okay? Nobody shoots a 20 by 40 but the military, right? Nothing out there today is that big. We're like 2M away or less, where if you take a 20 by 40 at 600 yards, that's a big-ass target, man. You know what I mean? That's That's quite a bit of MOA vertically spread. Forget the, the, the 20, the width, just vertically. How far off you can be and still get a hit on that. And that's why these smaller targets pushing you a little bit farther and why it was always like, man, if you're a one MA, one MOA shooter, you're like a rifle god. But nowadays, guys are pushing that one MOA level where, yeah, they're shooting two to a half. And if you balanced it all out, most people are probably in that one to one and a half, maybe two. But there are guys that are are consistently better than that, especially with the rifles and the calibers we're shooting. You know, so we've gotten better, but some of these little elements haven't caught up. And it'd be in, in, in while they have on some levels, It'd be interesting to see if it's continuing to affect us, you know? So um, that's kind of the other thing that I'm working at. Um, but then going back to the gathering, I mean, we had a great afternoon. I ended up, uh, we had John Baker from uh, TACOM HQ. He had all his new units out there. His barrel stuff is actually really cool. He's taking, his barrel doesn't look like, a normal barrel, but it is. He's just machining the snot out of it and doing it in a way he's almost taking the stealth fighter route when it comes to cooling. He's looking at the physics of the barrel and and, and he's creating like a, a vented system where he's putting these small, it's almost like he, he can't run a lathe is what he said. It, it was kind of a funny little situation because if you, it, it's not smooth. It's, it's ridged, it's rough, but it's small, almost like threads. You know, it's like a fine thread about the same thickness. If you 
If you took like a Leopold or Night Force scope and pulled the ocular off and looked at the fine threads that hold like part of your scope, even probably a sunshade, that might be a little coarser. But I know like the slip ring, the locking ring on the back of your ocular, like if you loosen that, that, that locking ring and look at how fine those threads are, that's what John's barrels look like. But they're random heights, widths, and variations. They're not uniform. And on top of that, he, he starts off at the chamber with these big giant like holes in it that are sunk in. And then it goes to like a different pattern. Then it goes to this thread looking pattern. And then on top of that, he has uh, air holes down around the edge of the barrel. So they go down into it because as the bullet's going out and pulling through, it pulls this column of air with it. And by creating these holes on the outside around the edge... Okay, so if I'm looking straight down at the bore, there would be X number of holes around the bore that go into an easy deep drilling, okay? And that creates a suction that pulls air and moves air through it. So you can shoot, he has 300 Norma there. He had a bunch of rifles, but he had a 300 Norma. He shoots 10 shots out of a 300 Norma. He can grab the barrel and hold it. It's not hot. So on top of that, all this pattern I'm talking about, think about this pattern he's creating with kind of this, uh, you know, random machining he's doing. It's for the harmonics. He's creating a different texture path. So the harmonics have to almost start over. It's a dampening field. So what they're finding is the... um uh load development is easier because the barrel doesn't have like a high medium and low node of accuracy which it probably does but they're bigger because it's less harmonically the movement is being dampened because that that flow goes from one pattern boom hits it starts a new pattern boom hits a new pattern changes the frequency again so he's constantly changing frequencies as the as the vibration goes from chamber to muzzle and he's he can use he just has to use a really thick ass blank he has to use a full taper you know what i mean like a one two five or bigger because he has to do all this machining to it but i mean there's definitely some merit there you know what i mean it 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 worked out, and so when when the um, event was over, I actually stayed with John and um, I think it was Ken uh, was his name, and uh, they shot to they shot the mile, and then I took them back to twenty one hundred. So they were gathering data at distance, and they didn't shoot a lot, but they were shooting enough to gather some data to keep pushing this envelope. This is the kind of really cool innovation to look at things from a scientific level, but with a pretty simple solution. You know, think about like, okay, we got a, a harmonic resonance. We got a frequency going. And if we want to dampen that, what do we do? It, it comes back to the F-class Palma Benchrest guys putting rubber dampeners on the end of their rifle. They're looking to interrupt the harmonic flow. What if you could do that in the barrel? In the machining of it, in the uh, finishing, okay, instead of fluting it uniformly, what if you took John's thought and fluted it dissimilar, changed it? What if you had, you know, stripes, checkers, twist, and go, and changed the look of it so that each time the frequency hit a new variation, it had to start over and change, with a left-hand gain twist with harmonic dampening built into it. God damn, man. Now we're talking something. Yeah, it's going to ramp the price up because we're doing a lot more. But if the end results show better, then I think we're in a good space. You know what I mean? I think that's something really, really worth looking at. And 
He the, he definitely has merit. I think I'm going to put something together with him. Uh, I'm going to keep exploring that. And and it goes to say he's got the TACOM unit, the Charlie unit, you know, the TACO, which does the ELR stuff. He's got different variations of it. And, and God, seeing him use, like, they had one. Um, he had a, a rifle there, had a 100-minute rail for ELR. Well, then he turned the taco unit around backwards to just zero it out. I mean, it's creating such a universal system because imagine putting it on one way and now you got distance, putting it on the other way, and you can remove the distance and do different stuff. So there, there's some really neat things, really innovative stuff coming out from John Baker and TACOM HQ. I think it's worth exploring. I think it's worth looking at. I think there's a lot that could be done in this space. And, you know, man, just taking a a switch barrel AI and just playing with different things and just seeing if it changes up the accuracy. I mean, and you'd want to take a known load. You know, you want to take something you know consistent. You want to shoot it out to distance. And like he's saying to me, and, and, and the test really is, is take your standard, take your known load, take everything you have, and pick targets at distance, 800, 1,200, 1,500, and shoot 10-round groups, your best 10-round groups. Maybe you got to shoot three of them, you know, one in the morning, one at lunch, one before you go, and shoot three 10-round groups because we need statistics, we need sample size, we need numbers. Then take this same system and repeat it. I mean, if you have a 5 to 10% increase in accuracy, oh, what is that really worth to somebody? You know, and that's the direction he's going with this stuff that that dampening, that lo- ease and load development, you know, d- doing all these different things, then left hand gain twist it, re- eliminate your drifts, right? Zero those out so you're no longer thinking about them. And boom, you got you got a recipe for something where we're starting to move in a new direction. I, I kind of always lamented that bullet tech is only just starting to change. You know, solids have been around for a while and solids are improving. You're cutting edge, your Warner tools, and you know, your guys like that where they're doing more. But solids are expensive and, you know, but you could push them harder and do so much more. But the cost is prohibitive. And there's really not anybody that's putting out reasonably priced hand loads, or not hand loads, but factory loads with a solid. So there's an, there's a resistance to going in the direction of a solid, even though if you really want to maximize marksmanship, or at, not marksmanship, but accuracy, you go to a solid and do different things. Because they're machined, they're turned, they're uniform. They're, there's a different level of quality control. They're not multiple... Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're not a multi-step process. They're not lead, copper, blah, blah, and then tip technology, right? I mean, you're looking at the A-tips from Hornaday. That's kind of how do we bridge the gap from a jacketed bullet to a solid results, you know? So they create a little bit better aluminum tip, you know, but then you start ramping up price again. So I always kind of was like, you know, bullets haven't changed enough universally in a big picture way that kept the cost down so people are hesitant to go that way well then you get rifles and now we start going to cnc's so our tolerances improve you know bartland comes out with their barrel making process that you know changes so much and, and really goes into an, another direction because that's cnc the bear the, the machines are now doing the work that take you to another level where the error factor is in the microns and not in something measurable like the old Pratt machines, you know? It's not this clunky old 1940s and 50s Pratt machines that are, you know, doing this crazy rifling. Now it's super smooth, machine controlled. The machine monitors where it's going on. And, you know, they can take you six decimal places into making a barrel and rifling and all that. You know, then, yes, we start looking at Lands and Grooves technology, 5Rs, Ps, Cs, you know. So how many lands and grooves? What's the contour? 
is 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 it is it is it a p is it a r is it a c you know what is this going on and how does that affect the you know bullet and what's going on yeah there's a boundary layer but there's still a certain amount of of distortions going on because we're mushing this projectile into a smaller diameter tube and spitting it out the other end so now you're starting to see thanks to computers thanks to technology but really it's thanks to what we're doing on the street shooting smaller targets farther away this is where the king of two mile comes in and why are we shooting to two miles because it's making everything inside 2500 better you know we're starting to see things how do we get more consistent and we've pushed it from the thousand yards to 1500 meters to one mile we're now at 2500 we're getting better and so that's where all this stuff comes into play and i and i really think we're in some golden times um then you know, so I hung around with John, spent a lot of time. I spent a good, you know, half hour or longer more just talking with him straight up with this barrel technology stuff that's going on. Uh, we ran his little flip up sites for the ARs where, you know, you got an AR zeroed at 50 yards or whatever. And, and, you, and you're ping, bing, bing, shooting your normal stuff. Then you flip up his single little lens, which now gives you 600 point of aim, point of impact. So you throw your red dot. From a 50 yard to a 600 yard zero now and you're boom 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 600 yards and everybody's nailing it you know it's cool as hell and it's small it's not expensive it's a single lens it folds out of out of the way and it's neat stuff you know so th there's a lot going on there uh after we were done uh finished up with john i had a race back to denver and then we had dinner at um the indigo hotel which has a heart and dram or some restaurant they just won the cheeseburger contest or something. But Vortex and Brian Litz, Applied Ballistics, bought us dinner. Man, it was like a five-star dinner, man. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Vortex. Thanks, everybody who sponsored the, the events um, over the, the weekend. Leopold for the for the food. Mile High bought lunch. Uh, I went and grabbed it, and then Mile High is going to take care of that for lunch. We had a great barbecue on Saturday afternoon. Way too much food. I basically maxed out the amount of food thinking like every person, you know, we're only about 45 showed up on the range. I bought food for like 80 people, um, but it was delicious. Chicken, ribs, uh, beans, potato salad, the whole thing. Uh, pigging out in Fort Morgan made it for us and uh, really, really good. Some of the better barbecue ribs I've had in a while. I, I dug them. Um, they were the right consistency, right um right uh mix of sweetness or not sweetness but um spice on it not right amount of barbecue i guess is the right way to say it but it was excellent but then this uh the dinner fish chicken steak uh pro, you know filet uh the chicken was great that that and then you know all kinds and just hanging out with everybody that night it was it was a really fantastic night uh they gave me uh like a little thank you plaque and and i appreciate it the challenge coins are cool. The shirts were cool. They did uh, the scout snipers on one side and the Marine or the Army snipers on the other. They had their logo and then a hog on, on it. It was cool as hell. The, the Everything everybody did to support this event. And it being it was the first one, you know, you're, it, it, you're, it's kind of a little bit more shotgun approach to it. I think going forward, if we do this again, you're going to see it blow up big. Where it wouldn't surprise me that within three years we're 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 two hundred people at a at a gathering type event somewhere around the country. I, I really do appreciate what everybody was doing there and thought it was fantastic. So um, thanks to all the sponsors who stepped up, especially you big guys. Like I said, the the Vortex Lits uh, Applied Ballistics Leopold Mile High. Uh, those I think were the big dollar. There was a OSOK Apparel. Um, did shirts or something and a bunch of swag, koozies, challenge coins, um, you know, but go online, um, go to these things and support these organizations, man. I mean, it really is keeping military sniping alive on so many levels and making sure the guys are doing everything. It was through the Scout Sniper Association that Mark Taylor and I donated the scope test tools that went to the schoolhouses 
You know, because I can't just go. You you don't want as an individual to go to somebody and go, hey, I got this. I want to put it in the hands of the military. Like, because we're not selling it to them. We want to give it to them and donate. Well, they're not going to let you in the door, but the associations can actually, if it's viable, worth it, and all that, the associations will actually help with that and coordinate that to the schoolhouses. So if you ever go by a schoolhouse, you'll see the scope test tools, and we made sure we sent them out because we thought they were valuable. They help mounting stuff up, taking a look. If you got something you're not sure, you could check it, you know? So um, there's that. Alrighty, I do have that interview with Justin, um, part of Manton's stuff. I don't think, I don't know if I'm going to put it up right now. It'll go over the time because I talked a little longer, but I may throw it out there. I may do a new one with him because we got cut short, him and I. I may just have uh, Justin call right in. I think that would probably be a better way of doing it instead of just giving him that abridged, abridged, that abridged uh, conversation we had in the car. Um, again, we were all running around doing different stuff The Kind of being able to manage and mingle and do the different things. It's, it's not the best atmosphere for recording the podcast, especially when everybody's shooting because the microphones will just latch on to those sounds. But um, oh, I got the office set. Everything's back in shape. And, and so uh, I'm going to be moving forward. Oh, I'm going to end this one. Um, I got to talk about what I'm doing tomorrow. So I, 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 I'm, I'm cruising through the Internet last week. And I didn't say anything. I'm not going to say it until today. I'm cruising through the internet last week. And I saw there's a, um, there's a Rex defense class here in Denver. Okay. Two day inside. It's, it's at the Marriott. It's in the conference room. It's two days of precision rifle instruction seminar lecture. So I, I'm curious. I want to see how you keep somebody's attention for two days just talking about precision rifle and so i signed up i'm heading tomorrow morning i got two days i mean if if, if, if it's it's expensive you know to have somebody just talk to you about this but i'm curious to see who shows up how many you know what the what the atmosphere is like and and go and see if there's see if he's got any nuggets man or if he's just throwing stuff at the wall hoping something sticks i'm hoping it's not like from 1978 to now, everything. I hope there's some differentiating between, yeah, we don't do that anymore like that. Yeah, they used to do that. But I don't know. I don't know what it's like, but I'm going to end. I'm going to a class. I'm taking a two-day class tomorrow for me. Uh, it was it was like timing-wise, it was good. And then next week I have um, I have a, a August class for Mile High, which is full. Um, everything's booked up. We're done with the mile high classes as far as the year goes. They're, they're maxed out and, and we're pretty much set with them. I think I didn't have anything on the books for September and we did have a bit of a waiting list. And some people have asked, I, I told Mike if they wanted, they could do a September class and we can just add it last minute and, and see who can come with the, um, the, the waiting list people who didn't get on when they wanted a specific time. Uh, also, Treadproof, uh, October's Treadproof class is more than three-quarter full right now. We only have about four seats left, so that's been like a week. You know what I mean? So if you want to go to Treadproof, if you want to take a Mark and Frank class, and this is sort of going to set the tone, us moving forward for lower 48 classes and what we're going to do together as far as the Mark and Frank show, um, it's it's a winning it's it's a winning formula. It's a great program. Uh, we're 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 really refining it. And Mark's jumping in with both feet, man. He's he's refining some numbers and some things and how we're gonna do this. So it's taking some pressure off of me where I don't have to be the guy to do all of it, which is awesome, you know. And and so this is gonna be a, a nice little starting point and our, our opening to see, you know, how we're going to adapt and change some stuff for the lower 48. But uh, if you want to get into the Treadproof Tennessee right outside of Nashville um, class, like four of you is left. That's about it. And Minnesota, I think, is pretty full. Um, so don't forget the end of the month if you live local to that and, and you hadn't heard yet. Uh, there might be two seats if that. And I put some big numbers up in Minnesota. But uh, Minnesota probably has um, uh, two seats left if that, uh, if you want to contact them up the Gopher Hill range. So I'll be up there. 
come um, the end of the month. And um, yeah, we're just moving, man. So my last two least mile high classes on the books are done. I got Minnesota, Tennessee. I got a bunch of stuff happening. All right, guys. Hey, thanks for listening. Thanks for being part of the Everyday Sniper. Hopefully this new setup is good. Uh, so far, I'm, I'm digging how I changed everything around. Spent all day yesterday just cleaning this place. I ripped everything, every wire out, every accessory out. I moved around. I'm moving data. I'm cleaning up, adding software back in. That's the longest thing is just I have a lot of plugins and stuff, especially for the video side. And then going to these new Macs, man, friggin' Thunderbolt versus USB-C. What a pain in the ass. So you, you got to kind of figure out how you can work these older drives that have Thunderbolt, um, you know, with the new USB-C stuff. And, and so I'm kind of playing with that because I was not getting, I ended up moving one of my drives uh, back over to my old Mac. I kind of played with that and I'm just going to use it. You know, it's, it's kind of like a text reading desktop and I could do podcast with it but I can't do video no more. And, and I know I got a, I have another USB accessory error happening. So I know there's a, uh, it's bitching about, so I think I have a bus problem with it. Uh, it seems like it's, it's a bit hardware and soft. Well, the software seems okay. It seems to me it's a hardware issue. And when you stress it out, it fails. So um, yeah, I'm glad I got the new one now. At least that'll take care of that. But I'm still going to play with this one a bit and check out the podcast. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. Don't forget to comment. I know I've got a bunch of comments in there and I've answered a few, but um, I'll read them uh, come at the end of the week. I'll give you a rundown on Monday of how Saturday and Sunday went for you guys. We'll prepare for a big old debrief on that one. Uh, we'll, we'll see what's going on. I'll be bringing my stuff to take notes and do what I have to do. Like I said, I'm, I'm going in with open eyes. I'm going in under the thing, under the thing and maybe I'll learn a different way to skin a cat. You know, and, and I'm looking forward to it just from the standpoint of I'm curious. You know what I mean? It, it, it's it, it's going to be nice to sit back and let somebody else do the work, but to check it out and see what's going on. I'm not afraid to go to other people's classes. I've taken a bunch, you know, I, I'm not I'm not so like, you know, God, I can't even tell you how many different instructors I've been to over the years. It's been a lot. So that that's why I'm I'm not. I'm not, you know, kind of like turning my nose at anything and I'm not coming in going, ha ha, I put my money down, I'm going there as Frank and I'm just going to be, you know, Frank sitting in the room and, and it's not going to be Frank, Sniper's Hide Instructor, blah, 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 podcast. It's just going to be Frank. So we'll see what happens. All right, guys, thanks a lot. Have a great one. Talk to you soon.